Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Suzanne Wheeler. I have been after Suzanne for a while. I wanted her on my show pretty much since I started it. In fact, she was on my list that I compiled when I was thinking about potential early guests. So here I am now, episode 85, and it is Transgender Day of Visibility. And I finally have Suzanne on the show. Suzanne Wheeler is the executive director of the Mid-America LGBT Chamber, but she is so much more than that. Suzanne is an ambassador for the gay community here in Kansas City, making sure that gay and allied businesses are represented and promoted, and has even had a hand in some national policy. We discussed her transition, some of the interesting work that she's done in her life, and we talked so much about all that stuff, we didn't even get around to Transgender Day of Visibility, which this year in 2021 is being celebrated on March 31st. I'm really excited today because I have been after this guest for a while. I mean, she is a friend of mine, but schedules just get busy, even with a pandemic going on. Uh, because Suzanne Wheeler who uses the pronouns she and her, is a transgender woman who is an LGBTQ plus and veterans advocate. Suzanne has a degree in psychology and special education and a master's in strategic studies and public policy. What's more fascinating to me is that she's a graduate of U.S. Command and General Staff College and the United States Army War College Georgetown Fellowship Program. Suzanne's a retired Army colonel and a combat veteran who spent the last two years of her career serving as an out transgender woman. She became an integral member of the Obama administration's team, which facilitated lifting the ban on transgender military service. And in her role currently, she's the executive director of the Mid-America LGBT Chamber of Commerce, which I'm a proud member and ambassador for. And she works to advocate, promote, and facilitate the success of the LGBTQ plus business community and its allies and to create a more inclusive, diverse, environment, business environment. Suzanne also worked as a senior project manager at UMKC, where she led national-level initiatives to educate and train the HIV and reproductive health workforce. So, of course, I'm a fan of that work. She's on all sorts of boards for the Pride Foundation, Transformations Board of Directors, Big Brothers Big Sisters, and nationally is a board member of the Transgender American Veterans Association. So after all that, like, let me just seriously say thank you so much for being on my show, Suzanne. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. You know, the big purpose for me wanting to have you on was to talk about your role and what you did with the Obama administration, because, oh, can I just say what a sigh of relief <laughs> I have had since we've got someone in office who is back to recognizing and celebrating and understanding our LGBTQ community 
much better than the last administration. Oh, absolutely. It's been a roller coaster the past four years. Oh, I can't even imagine. I just, the the pendulum swings are are so intense these days, but hey, however long it lasts, I'm going to enjoy it because we're already seeing things go go back to what the Obama administration put into place for protections for especially trans members of our military. Yes. You know, that was, it was wonderful to see President Biden, one of his, you know, first actions was to, you know, reverse that whole decision by the Trump administration. Forgetting about Trump for a moment, I (laughs) want to know more about Oh, first off, how did you become uh, an integral part of that team that helped reverse the ban that was on transgender military service? Well, I had, we can go all the way back to my early days as a teenager, and um, I joined the Army kind of as a way of proving my masculinity to myself initially. And also my family um, it has a long history of military service. I have two brothers who served. My dad served in World War II. Um, so my movement toward the, the military was just kind of a natural movement, natural place mm-hmm. for me to go. Um, I commissioned into the Army as I came out of college and served for basically 32 years. My last couple of years in the military, I was serving in a full-time role with the Kansas National Guard as their director of plans, operations, and training, and I came out as transgender. And when I did that, I was a colonel at the time, and I kind of set the system into a little bit of a flux because there Mm -hmm. was, they didn't know what to do with me. There were people who had come out who were um, lower ranking individuals, but at that point in time, I was the highest ranking out trans individual in the military. Uh, There had been folks come out after they retired, after they got out, that kind of stuff, but not while they were serving. So it really caused um, a a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. in the process. And ultimately, um, my packet had started to... uh, to be worked for medical discharge. That's how mm-hmm. they were putting out transgender individuals um, from the military. Typically, that's how they how they put you out. And I was going to um, be retired based on a medical discharge. And my packet had got up to the Secretary of Defense. Mm-hmm. I received a phone call from the Undersecretary of Defense for Manpower Affairs, Mm -hmm. Um, was called into her office at that point in time. And I thought, oh boy, I'm really in trouble. I'm going to DC, (laughs) I have really messed up. Um, Mm -hmm. She explained to me that the Obama administration was in the process of examining lifting the trans military ban and that there was going to be an announcement 
that said that the Secretary of Defense's office was going to review all discharges mm. and basically said that my discharge packet was no more and asked me if I would be willing to assist with some of the research and some of the testimony that needed to happen around that. And I did. Wow. I I mean, first off, I'm curious, did when you came out, did you know that that was probably I mean, the, the medical discharge part? Did you know that that was probably going to be the next step? Um, yeah, I really did. I kind of had a fear at at that point in time of uh, when I when I came out of, you know, this not only could be a medical discharge, but there are other things that they could do. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have charged me under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and they've mm-hmm. done this in the past. I had seen this done to others in the past who weren't just trans, but before the lifting of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, mm-hmm. um, were discharged under, if they were an officer, discharged for conduct unbecoming, and which mm-hmm. could have cost me my retirement. And um, so I was really concerned about that, but it was really at a point in my life where I couldn't go on any farther and, uh, uh-huh. and stay in the closet. Yeah, because you were, I mean, if you had reached the rank of colonel, you you weren't just a a young pup that, you know, was like been able to live in their truth from 18 on. That's, you probably spent a lot of time knowing who you were and not able to present that person. Oh, I definitely did. I knew from a very early age, um, you know, I'd say probably, around five or six years old, um, Mm -hmm. I became very insistent that I was female and part of, uh, you know, as they're, as they're looking at kids, part of what you look for when you're dealing with a trans child is, are they consistent with their assertion that Mm -hmm. they're a different gender than the gender they were assigned at birth Mm -hmm. are they insistent about it and i was both of those Mm -hmm. um so and luckily my parents i i wouldn't say they're the most liberal people in the world but they kind of let me i was the youngest of you know my siblings and my parents were a little bit older so they were a little bit more understanding about it, especially my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I always love to tell the story. I think I was in third grade when this happened. I would take baths on Saturday night um, in my mom and dad's bathtub. I loved it because it, it was just, you know, my, my Saturday night thing <laughs> um, when I didn't have to use the, the shower in, in my bathroom. And uh, I had gone into my my parents' bathroom, and I cleaned out all of my mom's beauty products out from out from under the the vanity, <laughs> and started putting them in a big gulp cup. And she luckily she came in and caught me ahead of time 
so I didn't have to have my stomach pumped because my plan was I was making a potion to turn myself into a girl. And she asked me what I was doing and I explained to her and she suggested that I take a bath in it rather than drink it and it would probably work better. And, uh, you know, 40 years later ended up working. So bless her heart. (laughs) Oh, that is a cute story. So, but yeah, to answer your question, yes, I did, um, you know, I did know uh, I had a, I I was fairly, you know, when you're in grade school, everybody kind of accepts everybody for who they are, and you're living in your own, like, little microcosm of a world, Mm -hmm. and everybody really, you know, pretty much accepted that I was I was extremely feminine. I loved hanging out with the girls. I loved spending my my energy and my time on a lot of things that the other little girls were spending their time on. And then you get to junior high, puberty starts to inject itself into that, into the equation a little bit. And... Um, that understanding was gone. And that's really when the bullying starts. And I uh, um, was beat up um, by a couple of people who I thought were friends Mm -hmm. to the point where I was in the hospital for a couple of days. Oh my gosh. How old were you? Um, Let's see. I would have been probably 13 at that point. Oh, and um, to make matters worse, when my dad was the one who came to the emergency room, and um, when he walked in, he told me if I wasn't such a sissy, these things wouldn't happen to you. And at that point in time, um, I kind of realized that I needed to conform to survive in that world that was the 1980s um you know the AIDS crisis was just beginning to uh rear its ugly head mm-hmm. and um homophobia was rampant we didn't have really a term for being transgender at that point in time um no real role models to look to so i i you know, conformed and that, and not only conformed, but really tried my best to do everything I could to prove that I was all man to the world and to myself. I just started to to internalize these thoughts around, I am uh, letting everybody down by having these feelings and by acting on these feelings and I can't do that it it makes me a bad person mm-hmm. and so I did everything I could to uh you know to bury those feelings athletics all of the you know the the military you know all dating mm-hmm. everything that I could anything to cover anything to conform yep 
Yeah. And that was, that was it. You know, really my only outlet for anything was I got very um, involved in theater mm -hmm. and that was kind of my outlet, um, my creative outlet that let that side of me come out. Other than that, it was, you know, my mom was very crafty. And when I was younger, I spent a lot of time with my mom crafting and, you know, hung up all of that stuff and went out and started playing sports and hunting with my dad. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I know there are still young people that go through the exact same thing. It's just my hope that it's way fewer mm -hmm. and it continues to just decrease over time as more and more people understand that this it's, it is not a choice. Like you shared, most people understand their own transness from young childhood, like three, four or five years old. It's yeah. not a fad. It's not something they just come up with. It's, it's just like how you're wired. Being, being trans is much harder than, um, than what, what we all make it look. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, as I got a little bit older, I compare it to like a pot, you put a lid on a pot and eventually those feelings started to build up. Um, it was in my mid thirties when they did that all of, and the internet came out, mm -hmm. um, throughout that entire time. I still knew that I had these feelings and I would see like, it, I'm, I'm fairly tall. I would see a, a tall woman and go, God, I wonder if, if, you know, I had won the genetic lottery when I was born, mm -hmm. if I had looked like this, this tall girl mm -hmm. or, you know, I wouldn't, I'd see, you know, my girlfriend's, uh, I always had a lot of girlfriends and um, not in a romantic way, but in a friendship way. And I would see them and I would say, I would think, you know, they'd be going out on a date and I'd go, I wonder what it'd be like to be in their shoes. And, you know, just that constant feel. Um, fast forward to I'm 35 years old. Um, I've now got a computer. I'm online. It's the time of AOL mm -hmm. and AOL Messenger. Could, yeah, AOL Messenger <laughs> and all those rooms that uh -huh. you could go in. Oh man, I explored some chat rooms when I was a uh, I was like 15, 16, 17 when AOL uh, chat was oh, big. Oh my gosh. It was like a whole new world because mm -hmm. as during that time that I was completely closeted, um, you know, you looked for examples and of people like myself, and there were none. Um, it was uh, pictures of trans people in the back of porn magazines or porn mm -hmm. magazines completely about trans people, or you were trotted out on uh, on one of the afternoon talk shows and it was oh my girlfriend is a man mm -hmm. you know those types of talk shows so there were no examples 
that are um, divine, right? Yeah, yeah. At that at that point in time, it was just like there was there was nothing. Um, and then when the internet came out, it was like, oh my gosh, there are people who really are like me, and this this is amazing. So that really kind of helped a little bit. And I bought my first wig and went out and bought some women's clothes and on a business trip, fully dressed as my authentic self for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually in L.A. and went to a makeup artist that specialized in makeovers for trans people. Lovely. And it was, I, I, I cried for 15 minutes when I looked, myself, looked at myself in the mirror. Because yeah. you, you saw what you wanted to see reflected back for so long, probably. Yeah, I did. And then that was kind of a, that was kind of a period where the guilt started creeping in. Before, I never felt guilty because I wasn't giving in to those feelings. But now, as I would have to release those feelings that were building up inside of me, what I was doing was I had all of my military gear in these boxes out in my garage. And I just bought another couple of boxes that matched what my military gear was in. And when I needed to travel for work, I would sneak out in the garage and, you know, pull a wig out of the, out of the box, some clothes out of the box and carry an extra suitcase. And mm-hmm. I had my military wardrobe and my female wardrobe with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of spending time in a hotel room, dressed up as my authentic self, terrified to go outside the door. And then when I would get home, I would feel totally guilty about it because I'm letting down the entire world because I can't be satisfied with my sex at birth. So then probably one of the biggest events that changed my life was in 2008. I was at a conference in Atlanta, military conference. It was a two-day conference. And by that time, what I had started doing was when I would find an excuse to be in a hotel away from the folks I was traveling with. That way I would like say, I booked my hotel late or whatever and booked my hotel clear across town. That way I wouldn't run the risk of being discovered by the group I was traveling with. And I was in Atlanta And I had booked a hotel at the Crown Plaza in the north part of Atlanta. And uh, it just so happened, totally unbeknownst to me, to be the week of the Southern Comfort Conference, which at that point in time was the largest transgender conference in the United States. Oh, my gosh. So I walk in on Monday to check in 
and the lady at the front desk, I'm in military uniform. Uh-huh. And the lady at the front desk, I'm, I, I walk in and there are like all of these transgender women and mm-hmm. a couple of trans men running around the lobby of this hotel setting mm-hmm. stuff up. And I'm like, what, what's going on? And the lady explained to me that there was a gender conference in town and that if I needed, <laughs> if I needed to move my room or ne- if I wanted to be booked into another hotel, she would be happy to help me book into another hotel. I told her, no, it's absolutely okay. So <sighs> I walked by the table grabbed a flyer for this conference, went up to my room, looked it up on the computer, ended up calling my boss and telling my boss that I was going to take some leave and stay in Atlanta through the weekend, called my spouse at that point in time and told her that uh, my conference was running long and that I was not going to be home until Sunday. And ended up, my military conference ended on Tuesday, and that entire week was the first time that I really got to live as myself for any period of time. Um, I was able to go to all of these classes Uh with people who were living their authentic self and living their life and how to do, you know, what, what it meant to them. And it was probably one of the most amazing experiences in my life. And it was the first time in my life that I really went, you know, there could be even entertain the thought of there could be life after transition. I have the chills from hearing this story. How serendipitous. Oh, I, I came home. I felt Again, totally guilty. Just right, right. a lot that mm-hmm. that Sunday night, it, it was the 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 emotions that I felt were that Sunday night. I cried because mm-hmm. I didn't want to, you know, take my nails off. I didn't. I I I didn't want to stop living as myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that. Monday morning, I got on the airplane and I just felt totally guilty. Like I had let everybody around me down, my kids, my wife, everybody. And it it just, it was eating me up. I got home. My wife could tell that there was something wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, tried to hold it in for like a day Went to work on Tuesday. I was just a complete mess at work, barking at everybody. Came home, barked at the kids, um, and then said, I can't do this. And went up, sat down. We had a little sitting area in our bedroom and sat down with my my wife and explained to my wife what I was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was the, the first time she had any inkling Yes. Or did she have any ideas before that? No, she had no ideas before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually, you know, there was 
the initial shock. And then once the initial shock wore off, she became very accepting about it. Um, And part of it, I think part of that acceptance came from, I told her, I want to beat this. I was looking at this as almost an addiction. Uh Um, Something to overcome, not something that was just you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm going to beat this. I'm going to figure out where the off switch is. That started um, a series of what I like to call reparative therapies, ah, um, mm-hmm. self-reparative therapies, where mm-hmm. I would go find, and I didn't want to use the the um, you know the military's mental health system, so I would go out and find a therapist and try to work through this whole process and it always ended up being the same thing after six to nine months the therapist would say listen here's the thing you have gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. Um, what you do with that is up to you but you can't make the feelings go away Mm-hmm. And I would immediately shut down, leave, go find a new therapist until I found somebody who would give me the answer I want. Luckily, I never ran into that person. Good. Good. Um, <laughs> so, I'm glad you didn't find a therapist out there who was just going to either lie to you, get you to lie to yourself, and convince you to live an inauthentic life. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, everybody that I ran into at that point in time had said, this is you. This is who you are. Accept who you are. Now, where where you take it from there is up to you. That's where the decision comes in. You have no decision about what you are feeling at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so that really didn't help anything because you're wrestling with, oh my gosh, you know, now I know I've got this. What do I do with it? Where do I go? Mm -hmm. If I transition, that would make, you know, maybe I can not transition into it. And the whole time my spouse and I were having these long discussions and in our sitting area and the bedroom Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, still trying to keep it away from the kids, mm-hmm. thinking that we were protecting the kids, uh, which was not a good thing. And yeah, it's never, never is in many situations when parents think they're protecting the kids. She learned, she figured it out long before I did. Uh, she started to withdraw. I, I deployed to Afghanistan um, on my last deployment in 2010. And before that, she had started to distance herself. Um, I think she realized where I was going to go with this before I ever realized where I was going to go. And when when I got back from that year-long deployment, things were really different in the whole dynamic in the family and everything. Another thing that happened while I was on that deployment Part of the acceptance was um, she had told me that I all I had a lot of 
clothes and wardrobe out in the garage at that point in time. Uh -huh. And she had asked me where I was keeping everything. And I showed her and she goes, you can't keep this out here. And in the heat, you're going to ruin all of this. So we went and bought two lockable wardrobes mm -hmm. and put them together. And they were down in the storage room of our basement. And the kids thought that I had military gear in those wardrobes. Mm -hmm. And my oldest daughter was in ROTC at that point in time and needed some military gear for field exercise that she was going on and ended up breaking into one of my wardrobes uh -huh. and found all of my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so when I got home, that was one of the, uh, the first things that I had to wrestle through. So the whole family dynamic was kind of really beginning to change. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so I bet that was an intense conversation. It, it really was. And mm -hmm. um, it, did you, well, I got, I got to ask with that. Did you at that time, did you approach it telling them like what was really going on or were you still trying to cover your tracks? Um, with my oldest daughter, um, I told her what was going on. I remember I called her up and uh, we met at a Sonic up in Leavenworth and uh, sat in her car and I explained to her what was going on. And she said, I will always love you. You've always loved me. And this isn't that big of a deal. And quite frankly, having a dad who's transgender is much better than having a dad who has committed suicide. Oh. And when I got home from Afghanistan, something in me had changed. You know, I was wrestling with PTSD and then I had all the, all the guilt and the anxiety working around who I was and, and not being fully out. And I became extremely moody, extremely grumpy, um, just this horrible human being to be around pretty That's much. That's what all of that does to people. It, you know, it's just, you've just become this ball of angst and it's just, it, it's like rolling on itself constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So we ended up, um, the, uh, my uh spouse and i uh we we decided to separate um even when we were separating we didn't tell the younger kids why we were separating they just thought we weren't getting along mm -hmm. um uh and then uh finally i think it was well it was right before i came out in the military because i thought well i'm going to come out i got to tell the kids um, we, we sat down and explained to my other three kids what was going on and they, you know, they all took it, I'd say, okay. Initially they were going, you know, my oldest son at that point in time was, uh, 17. My youngest daughter was 14 and my youngest son was 10 and my oldest son and my youngest daughter were like 
oh, we'll love you no matter what, da 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 And my oldest daughter was sitting at the end of the table who had already known about it. And she was like, I'm calling bullshit on all of this. Um, this is going to be a lot tougher than what you think it is. Trust me, I've gone through it. I'm going through it. Um, and that's, you know, so we, we started working through everything. Um, and right after that, it came out at work. And uh, part of the reason why it came out at work, I was talking to my oldest daughter, who was in the Kansas National Guard at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think I'm just going to retire. I'll just retire and fade away. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know if I was going to fully transition or not, but mm -hmm. I had found a, uh, a wonderful therapist who had really played hardball with me and mm -hmm. pretty much threw me out of her office the first time I went in because she said all of these other therapists had told me what, uh, you know, what I needed to know, but I didn't want to hear that. So I wasn't going to waste her time, get out of her office. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the therapist for me. Ah. <laughs> so we were, we were working through really where, where my journey uh, was going to go, what path my journey was going to take at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I told my my uh, daughter, I said, I'm just going to I'm just going to fade away. I'm just going to retire and fade away. And she was like, no, you're not. You're going to come out because there are other military members who need you to come out, who are your yes. LGBT military members who need leaders like you there to show that it's okay for them to be their themselves. And that's real. That was really my impetus behind coming out. Yeah. Cause and, as a Colonel, you have that leadership and yeah, that that is meaningful when someone above you that, you know, that you admire lives their authentic selves. It does give other people permission. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, yeah. just like you were looking for someone out there that was like you, they, they need someone that's like them, not just trans, but also trans or gay or whatever. And in the military, you know, they, yeah. they need to see that there's other people out there living the same lives that they are and that they're thriving. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then once I came out, I was really kind of surprised. Um, once I came out and everybody knew for the most part, the reaction among my peers was very, very good. And when I told my staff, I actually had a master sergeant who worked for me stand up and tell me, thank you for coming out. Uh, my wife and I have been hiding the fact that my son, that you all know as my daughter, is at Emporia State and transitioning right now. And I didn't mm -hmm. know how to tell anybody, but now I, I really don't care. And I was like, <gasps> yeah, yay, <laughs> goodness. Yay. Oh, see, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So, so uh, with that being said, after coming out, the journey was not all that easy, but mm -hmm. um, I, I'm 10 times happier 
than I now than I ever have been in my entire life. You know, my kids, my oldest son and I are estranged. Um, I think that has more to do with the way I came out than, Mm -hmm. you know, and hiding a lot of what I did than, you know, the fact that I did come out. But my, my daughters both disappeared for a while. And I was like, gosh, I've lost all my kids except for my youngest. My youngest, who was 10 at that point in time, said, eh, you know what? I've got friends at school who are trans. Um, can I go play Xbox now? <laughs> no skin off their nose, huh? <laughs> yeah. And it was like, okay. But my, uh, my daughters disappeared for a while. And my oldest daughter, who is a clinical therapist, has really been a very strong supporter of mine and a bedrock for me. Mm -hmm. And when she came back around, she explained to me that she needed to grieve dad, that -hmm. the person I am now, because, and this was a very hard lesson for me to, to realize the person I am now is not that person I was, you know, five years ago. Mm -hmm that image that they lived with is gone Mm -hmm. and has been replaced by somebody who I'm the same person, but the attitude, the way I react to things, the everything is completely different. Mm -hmm. And they needed to say goodbye to dad and hello Mm -hmm. to Suzanne. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason that they, both kind of disappeared and worked through it together. Interesting. That's beautiful too. And that brings up something that came to mind for me, Um, a story I actually want to tell you, but I want to take a quick break and and tell you this story. I think um, it just, as you talk about that former person, your current self. Yeah. I've got a story for you. So let's, I'll tell you about it, but after the break. Sounds great. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. Okay, so we're back. So, so Suzanne, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but I, I used to have Airbnb here in my, my place. And remember that pride that we worked the booth together for the LGBT chamber? We were giving out the directories. Yeah, I think that was one of our first times that we had really met and spent any time together. Yeah, it was such a wonderful day. And it just so happened that that night when I got home, my guest was someone in the Kansas National Guard who was up here for a training. And I just happened to mention, like, I was at Pride that day and did a lot of work with the chamber. And he goes... You know, I know someone who I think does a lot with them. Um, I don't know. I can't remember what they go by now. Um, and in my head, the only person that I knew from the chamber who had been in the military was you. Uh-huh. So I just took a chance. I was like, uh, is it Suzanne Wheeler? And he goes, yes, yes, it is Suzanne Wheeler. And so we get to talking and I, I messaged you and said, do you remember so-and-so? And you said, yeah. And I said, well, he's here on my couch right now. And he was like, tell, tell her I said hi. And, you know, just like that quick exchange. But after that, it led to a really interesting conversation. So, of course, I mean, 
he flat out said, okay, with what you do as a sex coach, you're probably the only person that I can ask this and either not get shamed for what I'm going to ask or not be embarrassed and, and you'll have the right answers. And I kind of knew where it was going to go. I was like, okay. And he, he never used your, your dead name. Um, but, but did a couple of times would be telling a story or ask questions and say he, and I would just gently remind him, you know, she He's like, yeah, yeah, she, she. So he was, he was doing his best to remember your pronouns. Uh-huh. Um, and again, never misnamed you was respectful for that. Um, but definitely had some questions about, well, you know, if, if she liked women before and is, is she's with a woman now, I was like, yes, her, her wife is, is a trans woman as well, or fiance. And he's like, so if if he he was straight before and she is with a woman now is she a lesbian i was like well i mean yeah i guess yes i i assume that's how she identifies cuz her fiance is a woman and but has has her fiance had and have they have she had and i was like Wait, here's the thing you're asking questions about genitalia you're asking questions about surgery and i know you're doing it in a nice way but at the end of the day none of that matters it doesn't Absolutely. matter what hormonal treatments they've had. It doesn't matter what surgeries they've had. It doesn't matter what body parts they actually have because your gender identity isn't about your biology. It is not about your genitalia. It's not what's between your legs. It's actually your mindset. And it's about how you feel inside and how that needs to be expressed. So at the end of the day, I totally appreciate that you want to learn. But do any of those labels really matter? And he thought for a second, he's like, you're right. They don't, they really don't. I was that like, is, there you go. That is so awesome. And you are so amazing. You know, when to, to be able to explain it that way. Um, well, and I know, appreciated that he wanted, he really was coming from a place of wanting to learn and to understand there was no agenda you know, behind his questioning, he really was just wanting to make sure that he was kind and respectful throughout the entire conversation. And admittedly, I mean, yeah, I know you were in the military and I've, I've, I've met my fair share of military people that are wonderful. And there's a handful out there that I'm just like, I don't want nothing to do with you. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, cause but, <sighs> that's just human beings. I get it. But I, you know, from the very start, I didn't get the sense that there was going to be any sort of, he was trying to, you know, push me into a corner and then was going to preach to me or <laughs> he really just wanted to learn and to be respectful. And I so appreciated that, you know, he was willing to ask me those questions. And, and even at the end, he's like, I'm so sorry if I asked anything inappropriate. I was like, you know, it, it, it's not about inappropriate. Like you're asking me like, yeah, don't walk up to a trans person and ask what they've had done or what they have between their legs or, or any of that stuff. Like, it's just about accepting that this person is there's to say they're a man. They say they're a woman. They say they're gender nonconforming. That's all you need to know. Just accept it. And he was very accepting of it. Oh, that, and that's, that's such a great lesson. It really is, you know, especially for a lot of people in, you know, as I as I said before, I spent a lot of time proving my masculinity to myself, and I did. I checked all the blocks. You know, the I was the fraternity guy in college, and you know the the military and all of those things. And what I find amazing is I have 
a large amount of my fraternity brothers who I am still very, very close with and um, have worked through a lot of this and still have a great relationship with. And the, a lot of the folks on the military side, the same thing. And some of these folks were the most macho people that I know. Um, and really mm -hmm. their biggest question that has been around, and it's not really silly, but the, around those things, around, mm -hmm. you know, what about your sexuality? What about your, and I think we get that so dumped on us mm -hmm. by our culture that you've got to have that everybody wants you to fit in those certain boxes. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize that, what, number one, people change. Um, and number two, mm -hmm. those boxes really don't matter. Um, it's about, it's more about what brings your heart and your head joy than it is, you know, adhering to, you know, I'm heterosexual or homosexual or I'm gay or I'm lesbian or I'm bi or I'm pan or, you know, I, I like throwing all of those away and just saying, you know, I do what, and, and I am who I enjoy, you know, not just sexually, but, you know, in my life too, everything that I do. Um, a lot of when I transitioned, threw away a lot. I love to ride motorcycles, as you probably know, because I talk a lot about it. And I like to camp. I like to hike. A lot of the the masculine identified things mm -hmm. I completely stopped doing when I first transitioned because I was like, well, that's not ladylike. Mm. And then I realized, okay, I'm I'm just buying in to this whole um to this whole facade that I already just broke out of on one side of the gender spectrum. Now I'm trying uh -huh. to buy into it on the other side of the gender spectrum. Oh, I don't want to be that. there. <laughs> right? You just want to be you. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Suzanne rides motorcycles and likes leather, but also likes her nails done. Exactly. Like, I always yeah. tell people that I know that I really felt like I fully transitioned the first time I threw my hair back in a baseball cap and ran to the grocery store in a pair of sweats with no makeup. Uh-huh. <laughs> Welcome to our world. <laughs> yeah. It was like, like oh, but but that just shows a level of comfort, right? Yeah. 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 yeah hmm. Exactly. Oh, I love it. That's beautiful. <laughs> So little things. It, it, it really is. It really mm -hmm. is. Well, I'm, I am happy that your, you know, relationship with your, some of your children has improved. Of course, I have hopes for you that um, your relationship over time is, is great with all of your children. Um, I actually, I do remember a story too, from um, our Christmas party in 2019. <gasps> Yes, we you, met my oldest, you met my oldest daughter. Yeah. So 
so I was having a conversation with her and another ambassador and, and I did have to step away, but then what the other ambassador came to me later and was like, you know, I just got to tell you about this. Like I, I looked at her and I said, you know, I, I don't want to seem ignorant asking you this, um, but I, I just am curious and I kind of want to learn, like, do you, do you call Suzanne mom? Should I call Suzanne your mother? Should I call her? Like, I, I don't, you know, I want to be respectful and your daughter just said, like, you you can call her my mom. You can call her Suzanne. Like, it, it you don't have to worry about pronouns or, or anything like that. Like, this is my parent. <laughs> her name is Suzanne. I call her mom, but, you know, like, you can just refer to her as Suzanne for me. And uh, just that opportunity that she took to inform somebody and make them feel like they weren't dumb for asking those questions. Um, and that you know, she just provided them the opportunity to understand a little bit more. So I'm glad that you've got her there for you as, as an advocate now. Oh, it's been amazing to watch her grow as it, in, in everything that she's done. And with all of my kids, it's been mm -hmm. really amazing watching their growth with not just acceptance around me, but with acceptance around other people and themselves. Mm -hmm. I, I told them, and I've apologized to each and every one of my kids, even, even my son through an email, that I apologize to them for not teaching them probably what I think is the most important lesson in life now. And that is the one person that you have to please in your life is yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't live, don't live your life based off of what anybody else is expecting of you. Base it off of your expectations. And um, I, I see them doing that now, and it, it makes me very proud and very happy. Oh, that's perfect. Well, I don't know what else we could leave off on that's more perfect than that. So, um, but I do have a quick question. Are you cool with tarot readings? Yes. Okay, let me grab my deck here real quick. And I try to do a one card reading for my guests at the end of the show. So one I, I did not realize you do tarot readings. I, yes, yes, I do. Um, that is so cool. I have a couple of decks now. Um, some that I've gotten on my own and one that I was gifted. But this one is this beautiful erotic tarot deck that I have. It's Italian and it's very art deco and it's just gorgeous. Oh, so cool. All right, so your card, ho, ho, today is the Emperor. I don't often pull cards from the Major Arcana for guests, so this is exciting for me. Oh, wow. The Emperor is about security, authority, order, dignity, and about Aries, basically the statement of I am authority. Oh, wow. <laughs> this, this card right here is a... Okay, so I'll describe what's on the card. It's it's sort of like a reddish orangish, like very desert like background because there's a big like rock in the background. Um, there's a statue of a emperor like figure. He's got a sort of like an Indiana Jones like the sword is in front of him. He's standing tall and his hands are on top of the hilt of the sword. Uh, it just reminds me of the statues from like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <clears throat> And there is a, a woman sitting on a rock in front of him. So the statue is facing forward and she's sort of like side facing to the viewer, but 
her face is looking kind of towards the statue and she's got black curly hair. She's basically nude and has a, uh, a black, uh, black blanket sort of wrapped around her. She's got her feet kind of propped up on it. So she looks kind of like she's got her legs apart and like she's bent forward and she's nude, just like standing, you know, kneeling or kind of sitting before this statue of this like emperor like figure. It's an wow. interesting card there. So did yeah. any, of, any of that stuff from the um, again, security, authority, order, dignity. And it's about Aries, which is I am authority. Are you an Aries by chance? No, I'm an Aquarian. Mm. Oh, I love Aquarians. Yeah. As a Capricorn being right next to me, I like, uh, I like Aquarius folks. But yeah, I mean, security, authority, you were a colonel. <laughs> and you in the well. military, you had a lot of order. And it's all about, like, dignity. And you know what? Dignity right there. I think a lot of what you talked about today was learning what, what dignity meant for you and what that authenticity, you know, gave you that sense of, like, pride and dignity in yourself, that you could just be you. Oh, I think that's it. Completely spot on. And... You know, quite frankly, with the others, the order and authority, and even though I thought I was, I had all of that in my life, I realized I didn't have it until I started to be authentic with who I really was. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's interesting how all of that comes together. Absolutely. I, a lot of times I do these readings for people and like, oh yeah, that, that, yes, I identify with that. That hits home. So I so appreciate you coming on today to tell your story. And, you know, again, if the one thing that I hope comes out of it for people out there who maybe aren't living in their truth, who maybe don't find it easy to be authentic, that they find some inspiration in your words and and know that there's other people out there who are who are struggling but there's people out there who can help you get through this too definitely well how can people find you Suzanne? i mean you're you are the executive director of the lgbt chamber and we didn't really get a chance to plug it much but i mean hell listen to every other episode of my show when i talk about this organization so but how do people find you well i'm Fairly easy to find. Like you said, um, I'm the executive director for the LGBT Chamber, which you can find at www.midamericalgbt.org. I'm also on LinkedIn as Suzanne Wheeler and on Facebook. So I'm fairly easy to find out there. I don't hide. (laughs) Perfect. Well, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Suzanne or myself. But again, thank you so, so much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes or stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.